Hey guys, it's Evan from Empire State Conservatives Podcast. Just reminding you to check us out on Instagram at GetRedPillNY, on Facebook at Empire State Conservatives, on YouTube at Empire State Conservative Network, on Twitter at Empire State Cons, and on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overwatch at Empire State Conservatives Podcast. And make sure you check out our store for all snowflake melting merch at EmpireStateConservativeNetwork.com slash store. Enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Empire State Conservatives Podcast, episode 122. It is me, your host Evan, with the All-American Conservative, Solomon Tack, and Daily Wire contributing writer Moshe Hill, here to tickle your political pickle and expose leftist insanity and communist fools trying to destroy the American way. Moshe, thank you so much for coming back on the show. We have a lot to discuss today. Let's get right into it. Big news out of Tack's new home state of Virginia. Thanks to Second Amendment supporters around the Commonwealth, ceaselessly voicing their opinions to sweeping gun ban, the Senate Judiciary Committee voted 10 to 5 to reject House Bill 961 today, which is absolutely amazing considering all that you guys have been through down there. You guys had the, the uh, Second Amendment march, and then they were like, okay, we'll adjust it. And then like, no, no, we're still going to try to ban your guns. And then you actually had Democrats siding with Republicans on this in order to defeat this bill. Tack, what does this mean to you, having been out there for that march and being a resident of Virginia? Uh, it, it was an amazing thing to see. It's unfortunate to know that it's been uh, only tabletop for a year. But that goes to show that they were sore losers because they're like, well, we'll revisit again when our session reopens. It's exactly how they took it. Uh, <clears throat> and I've, I've told a whole lot of people that they don't understand the culture that is Virginia. There are Democrat gun owners in Virginia. There are avid hunters in Virginia that are Democrat. There are avid sports shooters in Virginia that are Democrat. And the message that I would just like to put from here is the fact that they said that they wanted to do more research into uh, gun ownership and more research into gun control. So that's why I put out something. I put out stuff purposely from time to time on my page. Um, It's not all by accident? It's not just random (laughs) stuff that you're throwing out there? It's not, it's sometimes it's by accident. Oops, I didn't mean to post that. (laughs) Shadow ban. (laughs) But I I put out stuff just to kind of poke the bear and see if it ever bites. Um, And I said that we should all compile research together. I'll I'll compile it all into one conglomerate and I'll send it to uh, our GOP supporters and get it out there so that we can go against Bloomberg's narrative. Because he's going to push a narrative. It's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And that's just for me to see how much fight people actually have in them or if they're just Instagram superstars who just want to be angry on Instagram. Do you really care about the Second Amendment? Are you really going to stand up for it the way you you try and uh, uh, falsify yourself on Instagram? And are you going to, to compile and help us here in Virginia or Virginians, are you going to help yourselves, or are you just going to sit back and let this happen? No, motion. Yeah, I mean, I look at it from the perspective of uh, it looks like Governor Ralph Northam is better at racism and baby killing than he is at actually passing through his uh, policies. I mean, he wanted to ban guns, and uh, he couldn't do it. 
So, uh, and I think that the people of Virginia, the gun owners of Virginia, uh, the pro second amendment people of Virginia really showed, uh, showed people how important this issue is to them. They came out in force. Um, they acted respectfully. Uh, I think the worst thing that uh, the, the gun grabbing lobby could say about them was the fact that there weren't any police officers there because they were just too nice, which is a weird backwards compliment, I guess. Um, but they cleaned the bathroom themselves and they just demonstrated this, what's important to us. And by the way, just because we're holding guns doesn't mean that we are dangerous people and that we're criminals. And you should not pass legislation that automatically criminalizes us. And I think that they did a really good job with that. Yeah, and Tech, you said something very important, which if New York is ever going to get back to any semblance of sanity in terms of gun rights, we need the support from people who are Democrats. And I know people who are Democrats who support gun rights, but they're not willing to go against the party in terms of voting. And at some point, you have to stand up and say, hey, this is important. This is something that really goes beyond party lines. Whether or not you're a Democrat or Republican or a Libertarian or some weird different third party because you know you're just a freak who just thinks that hey i can be part of the green party and still make it like come on let's just be real here right now america is essentially a two-party system but you need to stand up for gun rights and this is that was kind of where i started moving away from even just the middle where the safe act was passed and i was like well i don't like this and then rob astorino ran for westchester county executive or he ran for governor i forgot which one it was and he goes, well, I would repeal the SAFE Act. And I go, hey, I want to vote for this guy. And then I noticed, hey, he's a Republican. And that's when they started waking me up to like, hey, listen, the people who I've been voting for are not doing anything for me. And I'm going to start voting for people who are just going to who are going to go after things that I want to go after. And that's what people need to do. I'm not saying you need to lead the Democratic Party, even though you should. But if you believe in gun rights, you need to start voting for people mm-hmm. who are going to protect your gun rights. Uh, what, what's funny about that is when I was working or when I was campaigning for Bloomberg, uh, there was some random guy that just stopped me on the street and was like, you need to stop supporting people that legitimately aren't trying to support you. And at that point, I was young. You know what I mean? I knew I just wanted to make a name for myself. I wanted to kind of kick in the door and into the political realm and get some networking going on. And I just saw the, the surface of what he said he stood for. And that's what I kept pushing to people is that surface argument. Bloomberg is great for education. Bloomberg has this anti-terrorism network set up within the NYPD. Bloomberg's done dot, 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 dot. I have my talking points sold down pat, but this guy came up to me on a street corner and within a 15-minute conversation taught me how to look deeper than just what the, the, the garbage I was shoving. And uh, to, just to end that real quick, the governor of Virginia... Uh, Blackface Northam has succeeded in doing nothing more than pissing off even his Democrat party. So we have somebody that stood up to challenge him today for for a bid for governor, and it is uh, State Senator Amanda Chase, who is saying that even if she can't get the Republicans to back her, she will then run as an independent, and she's a Trump supporter. So, I mean, that's that's kind of what's going on with these kind of, I don't know, what's rogue Democrats. I mean, AOC is, is the same way. You have a bunch of Democrats trying to primary her. You have an insane amount of Republicans coming after her. And that perfectly segues into our next topic of bail reform. So besides AOC telling everyone they need to slow down on bail reform because 
you know, we haven't really given it a chance yet, even though crime is up, what, 300% in less than two months. But the real story on this is just to give you guys kind of an idea of what bail reform has done for New York City. Besides the huge spike in crime, besides the French tourist who was slashed in the throat randomly this week, um, a New York City man who's now been arrested 139 times thanked Democrats for guaranteeing his immediate release despite repeatedly swiping hundreds of dollars from unsuspecting subway commuters since bail reform went into effect January 1st. This man's name, the guy with the biggest balls in New York City, Charles Barry, who is 56 years old. This is a 56-year-old man who makes his living pickpocketing people on the subway. He's been arrested six times since the start of this year. Six times. AOC wants to give it more time. He's been arrested six times. He, and I quote, and I quote, he said, bail reform, it's lit. <laughs> it's the Democrats. The Democrats know me and the Republicans fear me. You can't touch me. I can't be stopped. This is this is bail reform in a nutshell. This is what it is. This is the poster child. That's the poster child for bail reform. And he loves it. And by the way, you'd think that that's an ad campaign for Republicans. That's an ad campaign for Democrats in New York City. All right. Democrats are like, look what we can do. Huh? You can get out of jail. Get out of jail free card. It is. It's nuts. It's really crazy. And it, what's even worse is the fact that AOC is so out of touch with her constituency. She doesn't even understand that how much this is harming her, uh, the people who vote for her. She doesn't understand how much is harming the city. She doesn't care. I mean, I, I would ask AOC how many people need to have a gun shoved in their face at a bank robbery. How many bank tellers need to have, be robbed? How many? Forget about like the people murdered. There are people murdered because of bail reform. Okay, like that's were insane enough but like how many people are going to get assaulted how many people are going to get raped how many people are going to get robbed how many people are going to get um how many how many millions of dollars are going to get of property damage are going to get uh, is going to happen because of this oh but let's wait you know let's let's wait on the rollback you know what when you're to the left on bill de blasio and andrew cuomo on these things you really got to take a deep look inside it's kind of insane I mean, it's not even that. Like, we had the story, if you haven't seen it, it's on our Facebook page. The guy who was accused of raping an 11-year-old, and according to bail reform, it's not just about letting people out. It's about giving the defense access to information for the defendant. So now this person is going to get information on, well, he already knows the address because it was inside their house. But it's giving these people their contact information because it goes to the defense. It gives them their address. It gives access to people it essentially allows them to intimidate witnesses into not testifying. This whole thing from top to bottom is pure trash. Amen. It is, it is pure it, trash. It, and I, I would love to meet this guy, whatever his name is, and give him a cigar and any kind of drink he wants. Charles Barry? Yes, Charles Barry. Any, Charles any Barry, drink. if you're hearing this, please send me an email at evan at empirestateconservednetwork.com. I will forward you tax contact information. No, no IPAs. I think anybody that likes IPAs likes to drink pee for a living. But that, that's that's my opinion. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> seeing the, the type of attitude that bail reform encourages within New York City, should concern you. And I, I have a few numbers here that I'd like to read off. It's not going to take long. So just be patient. So this is, uh, we're going to just hit on 
murder, and then the shooting crimes. So 2020, this is the 28-day range. So from January to February, within 28 days, 2020s, you already had 27 murders in New York City. 27. <laughs> that's a Chicago um, weekend, though, so, this is, so it's fine. <laughs> wait, but that's not it. This is going to shock you. So shooting victims were 60, and shooting incidents was 51. Do you know how much Chicago had? 41. We're better so, than Chicago in something. Besides has Minnesota. now defeated Chicago <laughs> and the number of shooting incidents. Oh, my God. In a 28-day period. Take that, so, Chicago. Bail reform. There you go. I'd like to give New York City's politicians a round of applause. Oh, my God. And, and New York's former mayor that's running for president right now is saying that the policy that he used to keep the crime down – he apologizes for them. Those are no good. They didn't work. You know, oh, but they, they did a bad job. Uh, it's absolutely crazy. You know what? Despite, regardless of how you think about stop and frisk, don't apologize for things that uh, that worked, okay? Because there was a huge downturn in crime between 1994 and 2015. And then, uh, you know, this everything started going back up. And that's when Bloomberg became, uh, towards the end of it, became a full-on Democrat. That's when de Blasio came in. And all these policies, it wasn't just stopping prison. It was much more than that. that that's just like the poster child also. That's just the, the face of, of these policies. But there was a lot of different policies. And bail reform is just the final nail on the coffin of, of security and freedom in, in New York City. Yeah, so, and if, if you combine that, Tech, I'm going to let you keep going. I just want to say this before I forget it. If you combine the whole bail reform issue with stripping Americans of the ability to defend themselves, you have literally given over control of New York City to criminals. It's like in Batman Begins at the end when they let all the criminals out to kind of terrorize everyone, and you really can't defend yourself. So not only are you allowing criminals back into these neighborhoods, but if you're a law-abiding citizen who's in a, a neighborhood that has a lot of criminals, you can't legally defend your home anymore. It's really... it's. Like the fact that anyone is still voting Democrat in New York is possibly one of the most confusing and frustrating things in my entire life. And I'm a Jets fan. So what you're proposing is we lift all the bridges and not let anyone out. That's <laughs> until Batman comes and saves everyone. I, I, I think I know where you're going for. I think that's a better I'm, I'm on that. I'm on board. <laughs> it really is. That'll work. That really will work. So, Real quick, uh, 1993, how many murders did New York City have? Either one of you know? In a year? I do know. I do know, actually. In 1993, I wasn't even going to say that, man. I was going to say like 1,200. So we know who who took over New York City in 1993. Rudy. 1994, really. Rudy Giuliani. Rudy. Right? How much... How many murders after Giuliani took over? How many murders did we have in New York City? This is just to show that GOP knows what, what we're doing when it comes to 1,200. 629. Damn. That's half of It was It dropped by, what, 75%? <laughs> That's in the crazy. first year. That's crazy. In the first year. So it was, it, yeah. We move up, we move up to 2001. This is right as he's exiting office. Bloomberg takes over 2002. 
it goes up a little bit to 649 and then it drops like it completely downgrades when Bloomberg starts enacting some of the, the things that he enacted as far as uh proactive policing yeah <laughs> empowering proactive policing throughout the city so I'm not gonna say that everything that he did was all bad being who he was you know what I mean and the type of character that he has um but we still know that when it came to the stop question and fit and uh first policy that he wanted nypd to do more with less and whereas the stop and frisk took place on specially specially trained units he then gave the entire police department that power and said i know i'm not giving you guys a whole lot here but i need everybody to go and do it and expanded the numbers of uh people that was stopped and that's one of the things that had a that showed a decrease in crime and now he's a troll who lives under a bridge and tries to take everyone's gun. <laughs> exactly. And it's not just the murders also. I mean, there's a lot more crime that happens around here around than murders. You got rape, you got arson, you got burglary, you got assault. All those went way down in the 90s with Giuliani came in with Broken Windows Policing mm-hmm. and it continued on when Bloomberg did it. And by the way, de Blasio is is disrespecting police he is he is turning his back on them he is throwing them under the bus every chance to get and yet he's still riding the wave of those victories because based on his policies if his policies continue on for another decade you're going to see the 1970s and 80s back again in new york city you're not going to be able to walk in times square you're not going to be able to to uh take the subway without fear of getting stabbed Curtis Sliwa exactly. is going to have to uh, come back with the Guardian Angels. He's going to be 80 years old, but he's going to be out there in his red hat, making sure that people stay safe because that's what it takes. It's absolutely insane. So real quick, one last thing. In 2019, around this time, you have 1,273 felony assaults. Right after the bail reform passes, it goes up to 1,392. So well over a hundred more felony assaults yeah. they have on record. You're gonna see an increase on everything. It's gonna be an increasing, <laughs> increasing, increasing. It's a, it's gonna go on all year. I mean, uh, I only work there for eight hours a day, but I go from the train to my office and back. I mean, I don't. I'm not gonna be walking around. I don't take the subway anymore. It's kind of nuts. <laughs> and this is the winter. Criminals don't like the cold. <laughs> Wait until the spring comes. Hey, Justin Smollett like got attacked in the middle of a polar vortex. Criminals will do that. They'll come out, especially those Magalu hat wearing right wing criminals in the middle of Chicago at 2 a.m. Yeah, so don't you disparage criminals. Don't you disparage criminals in the middle of winter. What is this, shameless? You got white people on the south side of Chicago at 2 a.m.? Come on. I love that hey, show. That's <laughs> The summer is called killing season by rappers for a reason. So we're going to see what happens with Lazio in the summer. Oh, my God. It, it's, it's, it's so bad. It really is. And it's only going to get worse. And it really just goes yeah, to show how out of touch the Democrat Party is with reality in general. All right, guys. Let, let us move on. Moshe, you had something you really want to talk about. I'm going to introduce it, and then I'm going to let you expand on it. Um, so we all sure. know the move towards anti-Semitism on the left with people like Linda Sarsour, with people like Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, um, Bernie Sanders, the fake Jew, all of this coming. But it really is on a bigger scale. The UN is kind of promoting this BDS movement, which is boycott, uh, divest, divest. 
and sanction, yeah. sanction, which essentially now they are actually putting markings on Israeli-made products, which is essentially what the Nazis did during World War II, in order to warn people when something is made by Jews. Um, or should you want to kind of fill people in on this a little more in depth? Sure. So uh, in March of 2016, the UN uh, Human Rights Council passed a resolution that basically said that they uh, wanted to part of it, it was a long resolution uh it included that anything that uh is past the 1967 lines i don't want to get into the weeds here but basically there was a war in 1967 the six-day war uh israel conquered uh the west bank which at the time belonged to jordan and uh they started building settlements closer to where the main part of israel is and by the way israel's only like 12 miles wide and like it's like the size of smaller than New Jersey. Um, so it's a very small country. It's surrounded by, by enemies all over the place. And uh, basically, this resolution said, well, anything before the pre-1967 lines, which is untenable in terms of security for the state, um, is uh, occupied territory. And since it's occupied territory, we want to make a database of all the companies that operate in the occupied territory, which is Judea and Samaria, otherwise known by them as the West Bank. So the West Bank of the Jordan River, but the old uh, Jewish name for it is Judea and Samaria. So they make this list. It comes out this past week. Um, Human Rights Watch, uh, which, by the way, is very pro-bail reform, just saying. I was looking at their Twitter feed, and they have a few things to say. They don't like Israel, and they love bail reform. So just throwing that one out there. They think this is a great thing. In their website, they, or they don't even show uh, Israel as part of the countries that they look at. It's Israel slash Palestine. Palestine is not a country. It doesn't exist. They never declared statehood that they could have many times. They could have done it uh, in early early 20th century. They could have done it when uh, they were given essentially Jordan, uh, which was known as Transjordan at the time. They could have done it in 1947 with the partition plan. They could have done it in 1964 when they formed. They could have done it in 1967, in 2000, 2008. They could have done it many times. They never did. Um, they could do it now with Trump's peace plan that just came out. Um, they're not going to do it. And uh, they created a list of companies that um, that operate inside of the Judea and Samaria. Now, the interesting thing is that a few of these companies, uh, most of them are Israeli companies, banks and, and such, but uh, a few of them are international companies. And some of these companies have plants or, or offices or something in the United States. Now, historically, BDS doesn't actually, what it targets is the Israeli economy. It doesn't hurt the Israeli economy. The Israeli economy is better than the American economy right now, not in terms of growth, but just in terms of how great it's going. Like it has lower unemployment. It's everything is booming. Everything's doing great. Um, and it's not hurting the Israeli economy. What it's hurting, what BDS is hurting is Palestinian people because they work for these companies. They work uh, at these Israeli uh, companies. They, and they say, um, when uh, Palestinian Media Watch takes a look at all everything that can try to get deep into the Palestinian culture to understand what's going on, Palestinians themselves say that working for an Israeli company is better than working for a Palestinian uh, business because they pay more, they have better um, uh, benefits, they have better hours, they have, they're more understanding for sick days or anything like that. Um, Israeli companies, they pay up to four times more than Palestinian companies, and there's like a 35 to 40 percent unemployment rate in amongst the Palestinian people. So these jobs, they need these jobs, but BDS targets these companies 
who do you think the first people they're going to lay off, the Israeli companies are going to lay off, if they have to lay off people, they're going to lay off the Palestinian people, they're going to keep the Israeli people and the Palestinian people. Why wouldn't they? They're Israeli companies. <laughs> and so they, um, they hurt the Palestinian people. Then BDS will also hurt the local version. So basically, a couple of these uh, businesses are General Mills, the cereal company, Motorola is another one of them, uh, TripAdvisor, Expedia, um, Airbnb. These are all companies that have offices or, or do business out of Judea and Samaria. General Mills has a manufacturing plant in Ilhan Omar's district of Minnesota, in the same district. So she, by promoting BDS, by championing this kind of database, by saying this, she's hurting her own constituents and her own people because it's going to target that company. So she's basically saying, BDS, have out my own constituents. Then you have um, a, uh, another Democrat uh, in Motorola. Um, the Motorola uh, offices are in Chicago. And the guy, I'm just looking up the name of the representative uh, who is who in that district, he didn't vote. He voted present on the anti-BDS bill. He co-sponsored Ilhan Omar, BDS bill. And uh, he also has Motorola in his district. So he's also putting his district at, uh, at stake. They, this is uh, N.K. Davis in, uh, in Chicago. He's, that's him. Uh, you have... Other, uh, you know, we have Airbnbs in San Francisco, that's Nancy Pelosi's district. Now, Nancy Pelosi goes against Airbnb, uh, it goes against BDS when it comes to uh, APAC, but when Ilhan Omar and Rashid Jalai promote BDS, she doesn't go against them at all. So, this is a crazy situation going on in the UN where they're publishing, they're actively putting a yellow star essentially on products made by. Uh, businesses that work, that do business in Judea and Samaria, and this is the only place they care about. They don't market anything coming out of Taiwan or Tibet or any of those other disputed areas that actually have much more of a claim to statehood than, uh, than Palestine does. But this is just what the UN does. Uh, uh, the joke is always uh, that uh, Moss Eisley in Star Wars is the, uh, you never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy that's the UN, all right? <laughs> you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy than the United Nations. So it really is a ridiculous situation, and they really got to do something about it. I mean, they're not going to, but, you know, whatever. Essentially, what you, what you basically informed us all, which is something that we already know, is that the left will do anything to push their agenda, regardless of who it hurts. And we've seen it in every major city where they push these laws like bail reform, like all this other crap, like this dependency on welfare, when it just hurts their own people, but they don't care. Because the agenda is push big government, push globalism, for some reason push anti-Semitism. And like you said, they are literally hurting their own people in their own districts, but they just don't care. I'm, I'm yeah, gonna, it's the... Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm confused by the UN because... The UN normally go, or most countries normally go after what benefits them. And when it comes to U.S.-Israeli relations, uh, we have a lot of, of military benefits that come from it. You have a lot of benefits that come from actually doing business as far as inventions and stuff that Israel comes out with. Uh, there's, there's a lot of benefits that you can take advantage of. 
when it comes to being allied with Israel. These other countries, what are the benefits that you get from defending a state? <laughs> Something that, that was never a country. It was actually just a, a state uh, from the Roman Empire to the Ottoman Empire and then transgress through World War One, whatever. You can get into the whole history of it. What are you, what's your benefit? Like, what are you getting from it? And I promise you it's going to be absolutely nothing. You aren't getting paid for doing it. You aren't coming out with any huge business ventures. It's not Dubai. You're not going to get them to come into your country and build a new theme park with a 200-foot drop roller coaster and a new tower that has 23 new businesses in it. You're not getting any kind of benefit from it. So what's the point of constantly shitting on Israel and constantly being the ones that's in the wrong. You're destroying, like you said, you're destroying uh, companies that are, they have establishments in Israel, have establishments in the United States, but you're going to mark their businesses and, and have people decide, oh, just because I see this yellow star, now I'm not going to do business with them. So now other Americans are going to lose out on, on business too. Yeah, I think that there's um, the craziest thing about it is what you asked, why, what, why do other countries care? So the big thing about that is um, they don't anymore. They really don't. Abbas put, a, put forward a resolution, an anti-Israel resolution, condemning um, the peace plan and all that kind of stuff. He had to withdraw it because he didn't have enough support. Now, historically, um, it was never, Palestine was never a state. It was always a territory as part of these other empires. Um, but uh, the... The in the United Nations, I've heard people talk about the culture of the United Nations before, and it's literally just like any other office. You know, you have friends, you have people you talk to, you have people you hang out with, you want to be in in the group, you want to get this kind of thing. Because it's like, we look at it from the American perspective, which is like, we don't need help from anyone else. We don't need anything from anyone else. Like, we'll make trade deals and stuff like that. But we're always like, the the strongest kid in the yard. So like, people want to come talk to us and people want to help us out. Um, or people want us to help, help them more, more likely. But in all these other countries, you have these 40, this group of 40 Arab countries that basically have a lot of resources, have a lot of money, have a lot of oil, have a lot of all these kind of things. Um, and you have all these other little countries in Africa, Europe, Asia, um, you know, South America, uh, and, and all these different places um, are all talking to each other in the UN and they say, oh, you did this for me, I'll do that for you. You know, it's just like Congress, really. It's just like any other um, parliamentary body. And they're all trying to scratch other, uh, each other's backs, have quid pro quos, which is a, a dirty word since uh, last June, but, uh, you know, it's fine. Every, everyone does that. And, and everyone's doing that kind of thing. So, you know, you go to the uh, United Nations and you say, hey, you know, we're looking for this X amount of barrels of oil to come our way during this thing. And they say, okay, yeah, sure. Not a problem. By the way, we have this vote coming up. Uh, can you just back us on this? And for literally generations, the Arab world was invested in destroying the state of Israel. Um, and they used the Palestinian people as a political weapon to do that. That once they couldn't do it directly, they couldn't do it in 1948, they couldn't do it in 1967, which they both really tried to do it in 1956 also. In 1973, they tried to do it. They really tried to do it. When they realized they couldn't directly attack Israel, they started using Arafat and the Palestinians and now Abbas and all that kind of things as a political, political weapon. Actually, Arafat was using the Palestinian people. He was in on it. 
So, and this is going on for years. But now the, it's not the same Middle East anymore because Egypt signed a peace treaty. Jordan practically has a peace treaty. Has a peace treaty. Saudi Arabia is practically uh, a peace partner. They're recognizing Israel uh, a little bit because um, they all realize Iran's a big threat. And now they're saying, well, we got this guy Iran over here. You know what, Palestinians people, like, shut up. We don't care anymore. You've been doing this for 70 plus years. We don't care. Like, you got to figure this out on your own. And Abbas is not getting it. In fact, the only allies that Abbas has left in the UN, in the international community, is Ehud Olmer, the former, Pal- the former prime minister of Israel, who gave him a sweetheart deal in 2008 that he refused and he rejected. And when I say sweetheart deal, I mean 98% of, like, pretty much withdrawing Israel to the pre-1967 lines. I was talking about splitting Jerusalem, giving them half of Jerusalem, giving them money, giving them aid, giving them everything. And he rejected it outright. And so he's still friends with uh, Adol Omer. And Jeremy Ben-Ami, who's the president of J Street, which is a anti-Israel, pro-Israel organization, um, they want to retreat to the pre-1967 lines. They want to basically create uh, a, a Israel that is in unable to be to secure itself he gave met with Abbas and he gave him a big kiss and oh he's like uh welcome my friend my friend you know like he greeted him at the UN nobody else cares except for these people except for really left-wing Jews because we're always our own worst enemy that's just the way it's always been with the Jewish people so (laughs) I mean it really comes down to this leftist ideology that pushes socialism where you hate people who are successful you're jealous of people who are succeeding. And instead of willing to do the work to be successful and to strive to be a person who is more than just getting by, you want to attack people who are doing well. And this is essentially what's going on because in, they reject every single deal. The Trump deal is pretty damn good for them. They're going to reject that. Instead, they're siding with people who are doing nothing but actually oppressing them because Hamas is not helping the Palestinians by any stretch of the imagination. And they just want the destruction of Israel the same way that you have people on the American left who are socialists who want the destruction of capitalism. Why? Oh, because no one needs a billion dollars. No, no one needs a billion dollars. But if I work for it, I'm able to have it. If you're going to sit on your ass and collect welfare, you don't get a billion dollars. And it's, it's a philosophical issue of these people just don't want – They, I don't even know where it comes from. I mean, if you guys can give me some insight onto how people even operate that way, because I just don't even get it. How can you sit on your ass and just constantly hate on people who, for the most part, have worked their ass off, even if you're given a, a, a leg up? Like people like Donald Trump. Yes, Donald Trump was born into wealth, but he still worked his ass off. This guy worked his entire life to build to build more companies, to do more, and to create more. Now, as the President of the United States, he's working his ass off to no end. But no one is really just handed something and just makes something it makes just makes it better. Everyone has to put in the work. Anyone who's successful has at least put in some amount of work. Absolutely, and I think that uh, it is actually embodied by Linda Sarsour last week when she was talking about this situation, this um, where she referred to um, the Israelis uh, as well. She was saying that you have the oppressors and you have the oppressed. You always have to side with the oppressed. And if you humanize the oppressors, then that's a problem. So she's basically saying you can't really humanize Israelis. Now, that's what it comes down to, is this is leftist ideology in a nutshell, which is 
it is a zero-sum game where you see somebody who's on top and somebody who's considered the oppressed, uh, or somebody really, not even someone who's on top. They look at somebody who's oppressed and they say, something must have happened here to make them uh, oppressed. Oh, they're victims. You must be the victimizer. You're bad. They're good. We ha- that's it. That's the whole calculation. They don't look at the past. They don't look at the context. They don't look at the history. They don't look at any of that. They see oppressed and oppressor, and that's it. And they, they give out those designations. So wait. they don't look at... No, go ahead. Sorry. That? I'll wait till yeah. that. No, no, no. All good. They, they just don't look at the, uh, at the people who were killed in terrorist actions, and they don't look at all that kind of stuff and realize that, oh, there's a reason why there's a, a wall over there in uh, between uh, the Palestinian territories and the Israeli territories. And there's a reason that there are checkpoints. It's because people were literally strapping bombs to themselves and blowing up pizza places. And they don't look at that. They don't think about that. They just say there's an oppressor and oppressed and that's it. So I, I just want to hit on this Caucasian woman that's running around with her head tied up, masquerading as a woman of color. Uh, she, she wants to talk about humanizing the, or, or you can't humanize the oppressor, right? And I, I'm going to make a quick comparison, really quick. What, what happened in the 1940s, uh, the, the 1920s up until the 1940s, when they were creating these caricature, caricatures of, of black people? They had the big lips, they had the, the, the pink lips, they were eating watermelon, they were scrunched up, and they, they made them look like monkeys, right? What do you have, and you look at different types of, of literature that's come out throughout the, the 30s and the 40s uh, during World War II, in order to, to talk about Jews, hunchback, huge hook noses, canes, really wiry hair. There's, there, this is showing that there's a good comparison that could be made, a good comparison between what happened with us here in the States, I mean, the blacks here in the, in the United States, and what happened to, to Jews throughout the world. And you're talking about humanizing the oppressor? Jews for centuries have been dehumanized through the, the ways that, that they show Jewish people in art in order so that they can be the oppressed. And it's happening still today. You see that stuff coming out still today. So when that woman who's considered Caucasian and still wants to run around as if she's a, a, a woman of color, says something about dehumanizing Jews, I'm just going to sit here and tell her to shut the hell up. She wants to, oh, I'm from Brooklyn, and I'm loud, and I can't shut up. Shut up. Come on. It's like Bernie Sanders claiming Jewish heritage. I know. (laughs) What did you say? He's about as Jewish as a bacon cheeseburger? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Bernie Sanders... it's he's, the guy's nuts, and the fact that he just says, "Well, I'm a Jew, so I can criticize and do whatever I want to do." You know what? It doesn't matter. I don't care where you come from or what your background is. Okay, if you're saying something that's anti-Semitic, you're saying something that's anti-Semitic, and that's mm-hmm. it. Criticizing Israel, Israeli policy, is not anti-Semitic. Saying Israel has no right to exist, and basically saying that Israel is you're treating Israel differently than you would treat any other country in the world. 
That's what the anti-Semitism is. You're holding Israel to a completely different standard because it's the Jewish state. That's anti-Semitism. You can criticize settlement policy all you want. That's not what they're doing. They're not saying, well, you know, Israelis really shouldn't be over there. They're saying that there is a standard for the world and then there's a different standard for the Jews. That's what they're saying. Oh, 100%. And right before we finish, I want to touch on one topic really quick. So I didn't put this in the thing because I want you guys genuine reactions. Mike Bloomberg has stated that he wants Hillary Clinton to be his vice presidential candidate. Does this automatically disqualify Mike Bloomberg on, on the realm of mental instability? Like, is he suicidal? He does realize that if he were elected with Hillary as his VP, he would be immediately suicided. I don't, I don't think he realizes that she wanted in so bad that her feelings were so hurt, she didn't even write a loser's speech. She didn't even come out until the next morning to say anything. Not even in that, what was it, like the next afternoon push and evening or whatever. And knowing how bad she wanted it, does he really trust being able to even pick up a styrofoam cup next to her? <laughs> Remember in the Batman movie, the, the Christian Bale one, where one of the, the public figures drank his, his liquor that he poured. Yeah, that was in uh, the Dark Knight. That was in the Dark Knight. And he immediately yeah. collapses. That's going to be Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> and Mike he's going to be wishing that he didn't say anything about doctors uh, not operating on people that, that they really can't save. That he should, Well, you lived a nice life. Go on about your day. Then he's going to be kicking himself in his own ass. The fuck this Hillary thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's two Batman references in one podcast. That's not bad. <laughs> one show, two Batman references. That's pretty good. I think that uh, Mike Bloomberg, he just said that. She's not going to be his vice president. Are you kidding me? She would never accept it. It was crazy to begin with. He's just throwing it out there just for just for laughs. I mean, he's trying to get an extra attention. Everyone made the, the same joke. Yeah. And by the way, jokes are funny because they resonate because of, because with the public. And the fact that every single person made the exact same joke based on <laughs> Hillary Clinton says something more about Hillary Clinton than anything else. It's, it's absolutely nuts. I think that uh, Mike Bloomberg is just really just trying to get uh, attention away from the fact that he's student with, uh, with Trump. By the way, does anyone else, Trump is so good at me coming nicknames. I never thought of Mike Bloomberg as a short man. <laughs> now, every single time I see him, I'm like, how tall is he? <laughs> He's tiny. He walked I, up to me he... one time. He shook my hand. And I legit, you know how you look down at somebody, but it's not like you have to really bend your <laughs> You just look so far down. You look like you were looking at your own shoes right there. You were just like, oh, hi, Mr. Bloomberg. Yeah, I was like, wow, this dude's little. <laughs> I mean, I'm a tall guy, so I'm used to, like, seeing – I'm, like, 6'1", so I'm used to seeing a lot of people who are shorter than me. But, like, I never thought it. Like, who cares how tall he is? But now I just think about it every single time. It's crazy. <laughs> He's little. Think, He's about I, the size of my styrofoam cup. <laughs> I think he only picked Hillary because she's the only person in politics who's shorter than him. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And he'll pick it. He should get Klobuchar then because she's pretty short, too. <laughs> Oh, gosh, she's a nutcase. All right, guys, that is the end of our show. Moshe, tell everyone where they can find you online and on social media. 
Sure. You can find me at uh, my blog, ahillwithaview.com. You can find me on Facebook at a hill with, uh, a hill with a View, on Twitter at The Mohill. Um, I write a weekly column for the Queen Jewish Link. If you want more details on that UN thing, that's going to be my column this week at thequeensjewishlink.com. And then there's Daily Wire, of course. Uh, I write for them as often as they let me. And, uh, you yeah, know, that's pretty much it. Yeah. All right, guys. Make sure that you share, like, subscribe. Everything for this episode, guys, share with everyone, liberals, conservatives, libertarians, your cat. You know, every time that someone listens to this show, we get some money. The other way that you can help us spread the word and help take back New York and obviously Virginia is doing better than we are, but both those areas. You can visit our store at EmpireStateConservativeNetwork.com slash store. We have this hat. If you're not watching the video, then you can't see it, but it says Trump 45. We have the MAGA man shirt. We have tax guns and freedom shirt. The don't let fear take your freedom shirt. All that fun stuff. A lot going on there. All that money helps us spread the message. We are not taking profits. We are just trying to really make a difference. That is the goal. We are sick and tired of living in this leftist shithole. That is New York right now. And we need to make a difference. The only way to do that is with money. So if you can support us, please, that is greatly appreciated. Also, make sure you follow TAC on Instagram at Solomon TAC. That's two A's and a C. There is no K in TAC. Make sure you follow us at Get Red Pilled NY and on all podcast platforms at Empire State Conservatives. Mike Bloomberg is not going to kill himself. And don't let fear take your freedom. Mm-hmm.